keep that letter, pray with us. I'm not asking you to do a dime. And then Pastor said about how much I travel. If you'll look on the back, I just, I don't normally do this, but I felt impressed. We've had a lot going on of Operation Go, and I've got to raise a lot of money. And, and this is the needs we have right now for now to April to be able to hold conferences, much like I held yesterday, but three, four days, a lot more material, leadership, pastor training, how to plant a church, giving them the materials free of charge that they need to plant that church. And this is the conferences that are scheduled to be held and the money that we need to handle those. So if you can help pray about that. I learned a long time ago, God knows where the money needs to come from, and if we just get people praying, God knows how to do that. But you can see we're going to be busy. Now, here's the exciting thing. This church supports our ministry, and as your pastor said, you have a part in every one of those church plants, every one of those pastors that's been trained, and every meal that gets out because you're supporting us and Operation Go, you get to be a part of that. Ain't that a blessing? You're going to get to heaven, and what kind of car you drove ain't going to matter to God. How, nothing wrong with that. What kind of house you drove ain't going to matter. What team you support. Now, I think Michigan, I think we're going to get just a little bit of credit for being Michigan fans. Just, just, just a little bit, and then I'm teasing. And, uh, but, uh, and I was a Michigan fan long before I moved to Michigan. Long story about how that come about, too. But my point is this. This church has fruit waiting in heaven because of your gift, and I just want to say thank you. Through the food, the, the generous offering this church gave us when we were here, not for us, but for Operation Go, and the villages we were in, and the preaching, and the thing, we always hold mess preaching and have people come to that and then distribute the food, we've seen well over a thousand people come to know Christ through that food distribution. Ain't that a blessing? We've had over 700 of them baptized and in churches. I'll take those statistics any day of the week, amen. So I ask you to pray for us and uh, ask the Lord just to keep blessing and, um, and, and God just moving, uh, uh, helping us. I want you to open your Bible. I'm going to stick to Proverbs this morning. Now, by the way, back on that table is our new prayer card. If you don't have this, we didn't have these printed when we were here for the missions conference. We had to get a family picture and getting everyone together is almost impossible. But we got it. It's on the back table that's free of charge uh, and uh, uh, please take one of those and pray for our family, pray for Operation Go take that newsletter home uh, and ask the Lord just to, uh, to use that. Proverbs chapter number 14 and I want to give you, the Lord gave me several messages last year out of this chapter and I just want to share one with you, hopefully it will be a help and uh, an encouragement to you. Proverbs chapter number 14 and may I say, you know, one of the greatest things you'll ever do, uh, I taught yesterday and I wanted to preach just on soul winning, I, and this will incorporate that, but the Lord just said, and I've learned a long time ago, just listen to him. Uh, but may I just tell you, soul winning is not just something you ought to do, it's something that a Christian needs to be doing. And I want to read a quote, and it's going to shock you where it comes from, but it absolutely gripped my heart when someone sent this to me about a year ago. Listen to this, this statement. This was not by me. I'm not taking credit for it, but I agree with it. Most people in our church are not active soul winners. That's tragic. You say, well, pastor, I give money. I don't care how much money you give. If you're not endeavoring to bring souls to Christ, you're not right with God. This is not me saying this. I'm just reading the, the little video clip I saw, and I'll tell you who it is in a minute. You say, well, I teach. I don't care how eloquently you teach. If you're not trying to bring souls to Jesus, you're not right with God. 
You say, well, I attend faithfully. I don't care how much you attend. If you're not trying to bring souls to Jesus Christ, you're not right with God. Well, you say, I live a clean moral life. I don't care how circumspectly you walk. If you're not endeavoring to bring souls to Jesus Christ, you're not right with God. Andrew Murray said there are two classes of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. You are one or the other. If you don't have a passion to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder where your heart is. Now, I didn't say that. This would be a quote you would think of Jack Howes, or Curtis Hudson, or Lee Robertson. This quote was made not long before he passed away by the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, Pastor Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers put this kind of emphasis on soul winning. Now, folks, I'm not here to, 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 to make you feel bad or to berate you. I'm not even saying I would agree with every little step, but my point is... That's how important soul winning is. If we're going to make a difference, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just here to ask you to pray, to ask God to help you do what you can to get someone else to the kingdom of God. Just one. Just, just one. Amen? It matters. And you're multiplying your life and you're making a difference in the kingdom of God by doing that. Proverbs chapter 14 and uh, thank you for being in church, as your pastor said, with the weather. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your love for the Lord, your love for this church. And thank you for coming knowing I was preaching. That's encouraging. Amen. And uh, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Father, I love you today, and I pray you help me now. I, I don't want to just stand in this place and fill a spot. They've got a great pastor, a great preacher, a student of the Word of God, and Lord, I love him, and I thank you for this place. Thank you for the friends that we've developed, the times we've got to be here. There's people that I know pray and care for us. That means the world. I can start naming them and I'm afraid I'll leave someone out. But just thank you for the relationships we have with the pastor, with this church, and the Lord always the warm reception that we're received with here. Thank you for the Spirit of God. I felt your presence yesterday. So encouraged. So many people so eager. And then Lord today, thank you Lord. Bless us now. Please anoint the message. Strengthen, encourage, and challenge your people is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one of the phrases are, I guess, statements that seems to be made by the generation of our day is just, you know, take it easy. Take it easy. Nobody in this day, and I don't say nobody, but it seems like, it's not true, it seems like hardly anyone's willing to take chances like they used to, challenges, step out on new ground, venture into unknown territory. It feels like pioneers are almost a thing of the past. You know, I think the most boring life would be a routine life, a life of going around in the same rut, doing anything and not making a difference somewhere to somebody in something. In context, Solomon, I don't believe, would ever say, take it easy. I don't believe that would have been his motto. The direct opposite, I believe Solomon would say, take a challenge. Stretch yourself. Do something. 
to, to do something that maybe is out of your comfort zone, something that, that stretches your limits just a little bit. And, and when I come to Proverbs chapter number 14 and verse number 4, that's what I sense and what I see when Solomon says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increases by the strength of the ox. A crib is, is not like the corn cribs that you and I would be familiar with in the farming land that we live around where we store corn, but it was a crib in that time was a stall and, and it was where animals were sheltered and fed and I don't know, I, I know I'm speaking to many people that know this, but barn animals are not known for their manners. They're not housebroke. Amen. If you go into a stall of any in any barn, there's gonna be piles of stuff. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to be very cool and 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 respectful, amen. Uh, but there's stuff that you wouldn't want to step in. And there's smells and there's there's things there and and, and I believe Solomon is saying, look, uh, if if you want to play it safe, if you don't want to clean up any messes, if you don't want to deal with anything, if you don't want to have any problems, there's a sure way to do it. Don't have any animal, any ox in your barn, in your crib. Sure fire away. The way to make sure you never have a problem is never put an ox in the crib. But then he goes on with the rest of the statement, but much increase is by the strength of an ox. So, or strength of the ox. So we, we've got a choice to make. You know, and I find in our Christian life many times that, that, that we are guilty of playing it safe, are we not? Uh, God dealt with me just with the ministry. I was actually studying these verses for our partners gathering that we have every uh, summer to prepare for the next year. And the Lord spoke to my heart about stepping out of the box and stretching myself and stretching Operation Go. And little did I know all that He was going to work out of me in that. But it's a tendency sometimes to want to play it safe, to want to be careful because two reasons. Number one, we're not sure how it's going to go. We don't want to deal with the problems. We don't want to deal with the troubles. And then number two, what if I mess up? It's the same thing with soul winning. I said this to many people. It's not that we don't have the burden. We know people need to be saved. We don't want anyone to go to hell. And we care. But we're afraid I'll say the wrong thing. I'll do the wrong thing. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll mess up. And so we wind up doing nothing. We just keep a clean crib. If a farmer... And here's the, here's the point I'm trying to make. Many people boast that their stable is clean. They don't make mistakes. They don't have many problems. There, there's, no, there's no cow piles on the field, so to speak. Y'all with me? But neither do they have any crops. If a farmer boasts about the cleanliness of the floor of his barn, it's because there's no livestock in the barn. Do we not agree with that this morning? And so I'm saying to you and I, I remember growing up, my dad well, always planted a garden and he didn't, we didn't have money to go buy fertilizer, so it was us boys and shovels in the back of the trailer and truck and it was going to the horse uh, saws and shoveling horse manure all day long. And then shoveling up the garden. I'll tell you how many times we did that. And my point is, you, if we had a great garden, you don't have a great garden if you don't have the right kind of 
of uh, fertilizer. <laughs> I visited several farms over the years, milk farms, and, 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 and I, we had to shovel even cow manure every day because I know one place had registered uh, Guernsey cows and they're supposed to produce the best milk and you don't have milk without manure. Just kind of goes together, right? And sometimes you and I have a tendency to say, I want a clean barn, so I, I, I'm not going to take a chance. I'm, I'm not going to step out because I'm afraid I'll mess up. Yet the fear of failure is the father of failure. When we fear falling, we inevitably fall. I try to teach my kids, I don't know whether I do a great job of it, but my kids play instruments and then they'll have recitals or they'll play in the orchestra or they get to do a special uh, during the offering at the church and we got a really large church and so they get nervous and I tell them, the minute you get nervous about messing up, you will mess up. Right now, Levi is, uh, he should already have it, he's 17, but we had to focus on other things, so he's trying to get his hours in, he's got his permit so he can get his license before he goes to college, and, and I don't get in a hurry too much with that, because that's a, a big responsibility, driving a vehicle, so he's been doing a lot of driving, and I've been letting him drive, and for the first time he started driving with me, taking me places, I told him, I said, son, I got two main rules for you. He said, okay. I said, number one, don't make me nervous. <laughs> and I said, rule number two is, I don't want you nervous. I said, if you follow those two rules, we'll be fine. I can do with everything else. I said, because rule number one, if you make me nervous, is automatically going to affect rule number two because you will then be nervous. And rule number two, if you're nervous, is going to affect me to be nervous. So therefore, we want to, and, and, and Bill, it's been a little bit now, we had to drive. He had been doing real good. I bragged on him, told him, kids, how well he was doing. And we went out one day, and I'm telling you, from the time we left the drive, to, to, I, said, I finally said, we stopped at the stop sign, no one around us said, Bill, we'll stop. I said, look at me. Are you nervous? Yes, sir. I said, why? He said, I don't know. I said, well, you're making me nervous. So you broke both rules. I said, so you got a choice to make. Do you want to drive? Do you want the hour? Or so when we're going to get? Yes, sir. I said, then quit being nervous. I said, if you quit being nervous, you'll quit making me nervous. Let's pray and then drive. And I said it about like that. We prayed. He drove. It was amazing. He quit being nervous. He did good. I did good. We had a great trip. But sometimes when we are afraid to step out or uh, and listen, when we fear, when we hesitate, uh, you know, I mentioned yesterday in the soul winning training, most of the people never try to win someone to Christ because they're simply fearful to. But may I say fear is what keeps us fear of failure is the father of failure. And listen, our barn floor might be clean as a whistle, but it'll be empty. You ever hear a hunter say they've never missed? The only person that's never missed in shooting is someone that's never hunted. It's just going to happen. I don't care how good of a shot you are. You're going to miss some. And so I'm saying to you and I, Solomon is saying, don't be afraid to step out. Don't be afraid to accept a challenge. You may scrape your elbow. You may, you may have some problems. You may, uh, you, know, you may mess up driving. You may not stop as quick as, as you want, like with Levi and my son. But at the same time, you're never going to have what God wants you to have if you're sitting on the sidelines. I believe he wants each one of us to be productive and prolific in our life. 
And God wants that for us. And so let me just give you a couple of principles and, and I'll be through this evening. Number one, when I say to you and I, we ought to attempt something for God. We ought to attempt something God. Where no ox are, the crib is clean. But there's much strength. There's much increase by the strength of an ox. You know, I thought about uh, many examples. I thought about 1 Samuel chapter 14, and uh, if you know the story, Jonathan and his armor bearer were the Philistines uh, and, and, the, uh, and the Israelites were in a battle, and, and Jonathan and his armor bearer comes across a, a troop of these Philistines, and, and in 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan says to the young man that bore his armor, Come, let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. In verses 8 through 10 of that chapter of 1 Samuel 14, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we'll pass over unto these men. We'll discover ourselves unto them. If they say unto, uh, this unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. You know the story, the Philistines said, Come up unto us. Jonathan knew the Lord and delivered them into the hands of Israel, and so he and his armor bearer go up, and they slay, two men slay, 20 soldiers of the Philistines. This scares the Philistines, and they flee, in verse 23, the Bible said, so the Lord saved Israel that day. How did it happen? Because Jonathan and his armor bearer were willing to see what God might do through them. But they had to attempt something for God. They had to put themselves in a position where they could succeed or they could fail. Church, can I just encourage you this year? Pastor said that they're highlighting eight ministries this month, the next month of the church. And, and you might look at that Bible ministry and say, I'm afraid I, I'll mess up. I'm afraid I won't be able to come every time. Or maybe the pastor's more going to be involved in the bus ministry or maybe at Sunday school he wants everyone to be involved in just being a soul winner. Can I say determine this year in some area I'm going to stretch myself. I'm, I'm going to attempt something for God. I'm going to do something. Jonathan and his armor bearer helped deliver Israel by taking a chance. And I promise you, as you pray and as you walk with God, whether you're, uh, whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, there is something you can do to make a difference. But they had to put themselves in a position where God could work through them. I don't know about you, but I want to see God do great things. We've almost lost, Pastor, that pioneering spirit in Christian. Where's the William Carey's? Where's the Jonathan Edwards? Where's the men? I believe they're there, but we've got to be willing. Yeah, we may mess up. We may make mistakes. But somewhere along the way, if we're going to see increase, we've got to be willing to deal with the messes that's going to come with it. I told people yesterday, I said, use it or lose it. If you try to use a 13 blood brand on someone, I said, what if I mess up? You will. See, when is some of the Christ saying about how good I can deliver it? It's about obeying God and the Spirit of God doing the rest. A message is not about how well it is. I'm saying you can make a difference. Jonathan and his armor bearer made a difference. And sometimes you think, the preacher, I'm one person. I can't do a whole lot. Yet Moses, one man, made a difference. Jonah made a difference. Jesus made a difference. The lad with the lunch made a difference. The four friends of the sick man made a difference. William Carey, 
that giant of the faith and missionary to India said his life was built on this single premise. And you've heard this, your pastor's probably quoted it. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. When we do the simple, God will work the supernatural. See, he's not asking me to do something I can't. He's asking me to do what I can and then leave the rest to him. I want to see God do something. Are you attempting great things from God this year? Maybe in your prayer life, you need to stretch yourself a little bit. There's times I want to pray about something, I don't tell nobody. Because I want to see God answer for me. I want to know when it's answered, that was my prayer. It increases my faith to do that, by the way. There's times I tell my kids, hey, we're going to pray about something and we're going to watch God answer. And I say, God, please answer because I want my kids to see that God's a God that will hear and answer prayer. Maybe it's in soul winning. Maybe it's in your prayer life, stretching yourself in your Bible life. I'm just saying, well, preacher, what if I miss today? Pastor said it's not hard to make up. I'm simply saying apply it to any area. Maybe God wants you to give more than you ever give. Do more than you ever do. Be more than you ever be. And you say, I'd like to, but what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if it don't happen? You'll never do great things for God if you're not willing to attempt them. I'm just saying, attempt. Attempt something. For God this year. Number two, believe completely in God. I think about 1 Samuel 17, you know the story. David and Goliath. Goliath says, who's this uncircumcised? Or David said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, as we make the story of David and Goliath about Goliath, that's not what the story's about. The story's not about how big, and by the way, the Bible never calls him a giant. We, we make giants out of things that God don't, that God don't want us to. The story's not about David or Goliath. The story's about one man just believing God and what God will do if you simply just step out by faith and believe God. It's an amazing story, and, and I know all of us have heard it preached, and we've heard all of it, but David didn't just attempt something, he believed God. When others were sure Goliath couldn't be beaten, David's ready to take him on. When the people of Israel thought Goliath was too big to hit, David thought he was too big to miss. The whole story about the giant, and you can go back and read it, I don't have time, but listen to me. I've heard preachers say David knew how to use that slingshot because he was a shepherd and he had practiced with it thousands of times. The Bible never says that. We don't know how good of a slingshot user David was. The point of the story is not whether David was good with the slingshot or not. I can prove it. Y'all ready? David slung the stone. I think I've used this illustration with missions. And I, if I preach somewhere long enough, we're going to hear illustrations that kind of overlap. But it's just still a great story. David throws, uh, slings that stone at the giant. Hey, David could have missed by this much. God made sure the stone and the giant's head, Goliath's head, impact. And God wants us to know it wasn't David. I've read lost guys, saved guys. No slingshot back in that day had the force or the power to knock that kind of man over. It embedded itself in his forehead. I can't prove this. This is blind theology. But here's what I think happened. I can't prove part of it, but here's what I think happened. That stone comes towards the giant. I believe God's on the battlefield that day, and I think he's right behind the giant. 
And God makes sure the giant's head and the stone collide. I think God just kind of went, Foop. Why do you believe that? Okay, common sense. When a stone hits this way, at that force, what direction should the head go? What direction should the body go? But God says the, the stone hits the giant so hard that it embeds itself, but the giant falls forward. The force of God pushing the giant into the stone is greater than the stone's force, and the giant, I believe, falls forward, letting us know it has nothing to do with David and how good of a slingshot user he was and what kind of stone he had and whether the stone was perfect and all the messages we've heard on the sling and the stone, I've preached them all. But at the end of the day, the message is simply about David said, I'm not going to let this uncircumcised Philistine talk about my God that way. And God said, I can use that. God honored his faith. You say, preacher, I'm not talented. You don't have to be talented. I don't have a lot of ability. You don't have to have a lot of ability. Can you just believe God to do something? Yeah. I've got a pastor friend up in Maryland, Brother Jason McNeese, great man, loving dearly, known him for years and years. And, and he's got an evangelist in his church. He's in his 30s. And that evangelist has uh, several children, and, and he's married, and here's the unique thing about that evangelist, and I'm not making fun, I'm showing you, when he walks up to you, I love the, the and I'm not making fun, I'm wanting you to understand, this man was told, when he said, I'm called to preach, this was not under Jesus, you'll never do nothing. You, you, you've got problems. You've got physical deformities. You've got mental deformities. You'll never do nothing. You'll never be married. You'll never have kids. You'll never be able to be a preacher. What do you mean God's called you to preach? And yet here's a man to this day that's married and has got kids. And, and, and sure, he don't grace a lot of pulpits, but he goes in the nursing homes and the hospitals and he gives the gospel and, and people relate to him because they see his handicap. And he's led thousands of people to Jesus. Jesus Christ, because he simply said, I don't care what you say, I believe God can use me just like I am. Can I say God can use you? I don't care what, what issue you may bring up, what handicap you have, what ailment you may have, what problem you may have. I don't have this, I don't have that. God's not looking for our abilities. He's looking for our availability and just to say like David, I trust God. Attempt something for God and then believe. David teaches us just some basic lessons. Don't try to be something you're not. Where do you get that? Not only don't, don't try to be something you're not, don't try to uh, be willing to acknowledge your limitations in that story of David and Goliath. David says, they said here, Saul says, give me the honor. Every Sunday school teacher, every preacher I've ever heard preach on this said, you know, they put this little man in this big armor and it didn't fit. And David said, I can't wear this. That's not what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say the armor don't fit. Now let me ask you a question. Saul says, what makes you think you can defeat this giant? David gives him the story. The bear, the lion, by the way, he never mentions a sling. Ain't that interesting? He talks about how he uses his hands. Because the story's not about David's ability. So after Saul hears that, David said, I will win because I believe God. Saul said, okay, I need to get you some armor. Apparently, I know it's going to go against the grain of what you've heard all your life, but just I, the Bible's the best commentary on the Bible. Saul looked out over his soldiers, and I believe he tried to find the armor that would best fit David. And the only armor that would fit was Saul's. So David may not have been as small as we think he was. 
Because Saul takes his arm. I don't think he's mocking David. This guy sits in the middle out and fight. I don't think he's mocking him. So in his soul's mind, he says, give him my armor because he thinks his armor would be the best suited to fit David. David starts to put the armor on, but then he realizes, hey, I'm not a soldier. That's why I said, don't try to be something you're not. God can use you just like you are. David said, I... I, I don't know anything about it. He said, I've not proved it. He didn't say it doesn't fit. He said, I can't wear this because I've not proved it. I'm not a soldier. I've never been trained in a sword. I've never been trained to fight in this stuff. I'm a shepherd. So David takes it off and says, if God's going to use me, he is. He's going to use me just like I am. He's going to use me. I don't have to be something I'm not. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I can acknowledge I'm not a soldier like these men. Hey, listen, don't try. And then I would say this, don't try to do something God's not told you to do. If you're going to attempt something for God, make sure God's telling you to attempt it. Amen? He had the power of God and the presence of God with him. I'm saying we ought to attempt something for God, but we ought to believe completely in God. Listen, there's a thousand ways to please God, but apart from faith, not one of them matters. Because Hebrews 11.6 said, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Number three, and I'm done. You ought to attempt something for God. You ought to believe completely in God. And number three, you ought to continue looking to God. Many people have attempted and believed, but they didn't follow through. Two things are competing for your soul this morning, fear and faith. It's like two ships, fear and faith. They're both sailing the harbor of your soul, but only one of them can anchor at any given time. Maybe you take the challenge. Maybe you're willing to get your barn dirty. Maybe you're willing to deal with the problems of the ox. Maybe you're willing to make some mistakes. Maybe you got the attitude, I'd rather die trying than to live and not try. The challenge exciting, but when things don't happen, fear will drop that anchor. And you'll begin to wonder if anything's really going to happen. What I'm saying is when we attempt something for God and we believe completely in God, we've got to continue because there's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that say quit, that say stop, that say you're not going to do it. Things that's going to bring up fear and questions in your mind. And I'm saying continue looking to God. The best example I know to give you is in Matthew 14, verses 28 through 32. Peter uh, realizes it's the Lord and he said, Lord, if that be thee, bid me come upon thee, uh, unto thee on the water. And the Lord said, come. And the Bible said when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, was boisterous. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried and said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Think about Peter and those other apostles. Peter did something the other guys didn't. He attempted, did he not? He believed when others did not. Why'd he, why'd he fail? Why'd he sink? Because he took his eyes off Jesus. See, at the end of the day, if we're not careful, pride will get into us. Are just problems. When we attempt things for God and God starts letting us do this, can you imagine the feeling of walking on the water in the middle of the storm like that? Peter's got to be saying, this is cool. Man, awesome! He's attempting, he's believing God, but the Bible said, when he saw the boisterous winds, Peter took his eyes off the one that was allowing him to do everything he was doing. 
and he sunk. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how great things you do. Let's never forget the reason we get to do them is because of the power of God and the grace of God and Jesus Christ in our life. It is not us. We will sink every time if we take our eyes. I'm thinking of a man right now. God blessed, God used, built a great church. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and started thinking how great he was and what he could do. Church is done now. Why? Not because God failed. Because he took his eyes off the Lord. So when God starts using you and you attempt great things for God, and my challenge to you in closing this year is that all of us ought to be determined, hey, listen, that I want to do something for God. I can hear the other disciples. Listen, Peter attempted what others didn't and believed, but he took his eyes off and he begins to sink. The Lord saves him. The wind ceases. May I say, thank God, God saves us when fear comes. And God will dispel the, dispel the fear, did he not? I can hear the other disciples say, well, aren't you the big man, Peter, walking on water? But now look at you. You're wet. Jesus had to rescue you. Yeah, those other ones stayed dry. Yeah, their barns were clean. But they never got to experience or feel what Peter did. I'd rather be like Peter and sink occasionally knowing my Lord is able to put me back in the boat safely. I'd rather know there was a time in my life I walked on water than to be in the boat safe and never know what it is like to be able to walk on the water. I'm closing, I'm simply saying an empty stable all is always clean. But an empty stable brings no profit, no increase. Where no oxen are, cribs clean. But by the strength of an ox, there's much increase. But there's much increase by the strength of an ox. 2024, January. Pastors, I've heard his heart. Let's get involved. Let's do something. And maybe the Lord's been knocking on your heart, but fear has been right there. Maybe God challenged you yesterday and already to, through the soul winning training. Maybe you didn't come. You could have, but you thought, man, I'm just afraid I'll mess it up. You got to choose. Yeah, an empty barn looks really clean. It looks nice. I see some beautiful barns. I've seen barns turned into homes. I promise you, <laughs> there aren't no ox in there. But there's much increase by the strength of rocks. Yeah, you may mess up. You may, you may have some piles of stuff that you've got to deal with. But wouldn't you ever see what God can do with you this year? If every church, if every pastor, if every Christian, if every family just took the mentality, 2024, I'm going to attempt something for God. And I'm going to believe God while I do it. I'm going to have the faith. I'm going to trust him, knowing it's him and not me. And I'm going to continue looking for him when the winds blow and things don't seem to be going good. I'm still going to trust him. I don't know about you, but I want to see what God can do with my life if I'll just follow these. Well, I forget the great preacher that said, we've yet to see what God can do with a man that completely, totally devotes himself to him. I don't know that I'll ever reach that, but God just helped me to attempt something, believe you, and keep looking for you, even when it looks like the odds are against me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.